0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Like all the central stories in the life of Jesus, the transfiguration has an Old Testament backdrop or background. The story that most informs the transfiguration is the story of Moses, when he came down from the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, after he received the Ten Commandments from God. Exodus 34, 29 says, quote, Now it was so that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone when he talked with God. In the Transfiguration, Jesus also ascended a mountain, although it's more like a foothill. It's not like Everest, like a foothill, but he ascended a mountain. And... Quote, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. St. Luke tells us that as Jesus ascended, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and spoke of his, quote, decease that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word decease in this passage is is the English translation of the Greek word exodus, exodus. And it would be better, I think, if our English translations would just say exodus. Because the word means something more than just death or decease. Its use in this passage is here clearly meant to indicate that Jesus' death will be an exodus that will fulfill all that happened in the Old Testament story of the exodus. It will set humanity free from its slavery to sin and death and set them free to serve God, just as the Exodus sent the Israelites free from slavery uh, to, to serve God. The only other place in the New Testament where this, word, this Greek word exodus is used is in the epistle for the transfiguration. St. Peter, a transfiguration eyewitness, writes, in the epistle, quote, I think it is right as long as, as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, which again is this word, exodus. St. Peter's use of the same word to describe his death that is used by St. Luke to describe Jesus' death communicates the truth when we die in Christ, we participate in the deliverance that Jesus accomplished through his cross. St. Paul discusses this theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And because this passage of 2 Corinthians sort of complements and completes the theme of our epistle, it makes sense to quote it in full. St. Paul writes, We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality might be swallowed up by life. In both Peter and St. Paul in this passage, our earthly body is called a tent, a temporary dwelling place, and it's meant to hearken back to the tent that God lived in in the wilderness wanderings of Israel. That was called a tabernacle, but it was a tent where God temporarily lived. We must leave this temporary dwelling place by death, but we will be clothed or re-embodied with a resurrection body like the body of the risen Christ. And this habitation will come to us from heaven. St. Paul makes it clear that this ultimate state of our existence is not a disembodied spiritual state. We do not want to be unclothed or found naked. That is to say, our death will follow the pattern of Jesus. He leads us through the exodus through death to resurrection. We will put off our mortality, our temporary tent in death, but we will will be changed, and our mortality will be swallowed up by life when we are given a resurrection body, an eternal body in the resurrection. That is the Christian sense of death. We die, body separates from spirit, Spirit goes to be with Christ and we await the resurrection. When this will happen, our temporary dwelling which we gave up will be replaced by a glorious eternal resurrection body. And that's what we wait for in the Christian life. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The Transfiguration confirms for Jesus that he will die for the sins of the world. His death is in accordance with the law or Torah, which is represented by Moses in this scene. And it's also consistent with the teachings of the prophets, which is represented by Elijah in this scene. But this is not merely a verbal confirmation, a lecture, a teaching about what he must do. Jesus experiences in a moment in time, the glory he had with the Father from the beginning and will have again on the other side of the cross in the resurrection. This experience is the central motive for completing his work. And this illustrates why prayer, which is our experience of union with the Father through the Son in the Spirit is the central focus of the Christian life and not merely teaching. To be sure, Jesus will offer himself for the sins of the world because the law and the prophets tell him that this is what he must do. But Jesus is aiming at glory. The transfiguration is a taste of the glory and the joy, a taste that helps him on the way to the cross. Hebrews says that Jesus, quote, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a lesson about prayer for us. Our experience of union with God is what motivates us to be faithful. We will not be able to sustain our faithfulness through trial merely because of teaching, merely because the Bible tells us to do it. Teaching that demands sacrificial obedience may lead us to be fearful or to feel guilty when we don't quite live up to it, but fear and guilt will eventually prove to be an motives for obedience. In the long run, we will obey Christ and do the will of the Father because we experience something in our prayer. We experience something in our union with the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit, that we want more than this world. Job helps us to illustrate this point. Job and his sufferings. Job's friends came to comfort him in his affliction by explaining his sufferings to him. They came to teach him about God, but this was inadequate for Job. What Job found adequate to help him make it through his trial, was that he saw the glory of God. That was enough for Job, even though God did not answer his questions. As Job said, quote, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Our prayer follows the pattern of the Transfiguration. In the Eucharist, we lift up our hearts and ascend to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Having been transfigured by our vision of God, we return to the world to do all such good works as God has prepared for us to walk in. To pick up our share of the cross and follow Jesus. Our taste of eternal glory and joy sustains us, and our faithfulness over time will be directly proportional to our vision of God. We must leave the altar, or we must leave our formal moments of prayer, because we cannot build a permanent temple here. That's part of the point of the transfiguration story. Peter wants to build a structure to house the experience and he can't do it. It it comes but then it goes away. We must go back to life. The Christian life involves a repeated pattern of ascent to the Father with Jesus followed by a return to life and vocation in the world. Our faithfulness in the world and our participation in the exodus that Jesus makes possible for us depends upon our habitual participation in the transfiguration. As the Orthodox priest Alexander Schmemann writes, We must not stay on Mount Tabor, although we know that it is good for us to be here. We are sent back, but now we have seen the true light. We have received the heavenly spirit. And it is as witnesses of that light, as witnesses of the spirit, that we must go forth. This is the meaning of the Eucharist. And this is why the mission of the church begins with the liturgy of ascension. For it alone makes possible the liturgy of mission. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.